You're listening to 3CR's Renegade Economist with your host, Carl Fitzgerald, as we investigate the role of landlords, bankers and natural monopolies through the eyes of the commons. Our birthrights, our birthrights. Listeners, it's our favourite sport. It's budget bashing, 2017 style, and we're joined by Prosper Australia Policy Director David Collier. And it's all about tax spend and build the will back to political trust, David. Uh, is this a Liberal or Labor budget? Oh, it's a Liberal budget, all right. This this nonsense about it somehow being Labor light, I think, is very, very overstated. Uh, this, this is a, definitely a Conservative budget, um, despite the headline stuff. What was your main takeaway from the budget? Look, uh, just even just the headline, the headlines don't work in my view. They're talking about a transition to a, to a broad-based growth happening fairly promptly. That is, this year the economy is growing at 1.75%. We're talking about very headline figures here. The, the economy is growing, GDP is growing at 1.75%. They expect 2.75% next year and 3% the year after. I think they're being wildly optimistic. I just don't see the economy growing that fast. I wish it would. Uh, and in fact, per capita uh, growth figures are actually probably negative because we've got the, um, so much of our, our growth is being absorbed by migration. Uh, we're, in, we're in very serious problems and people don't kind of realise it. The mining construction boom f- completed some years ago uh, and, and we've been, the government's been scratching around for alternative growth sources for quite a while. They, they then latched onto this housing construction theme, um, introduced a lot high level of migration to drive uh, housing construction and that's kind of kept the economy ticking over but diluting incomes at the same time, diluting wage incomes in particular. And that's what we're seeing now is retail sales are down for the second month in a row and uh, retail is really starting to feel the pinch as more and more households are drowning under this uh, debt burden incurred by land prices. They can't. People can't. Can't do anything. Those who have bought a house, have, have their their uh, their incomes are diverted to to, to debt reduction, uh, debt repayments. And those who can't afford to buy a house are scratching their heads and paying the rent. Uh, there's there's a, <laughs> it's it's a there are, there's no winners in this economy. For a liberal government to announce rather casually, there's going to be a 28.7 billion dollar deficit, on the back of uh, you know basically we think it was Peter Costello back in 07, 08 was the last one to. Announce announce a surplus. He said there was going to be a $10 billion surplus and there ended up being a $19 billion surplus. And ever since then, uh, we've had record surplus blowouts. So they're listing $28.7 billion deficit here, but that's based on some very presumptuous uh, commodity pricing into the future. Yeah, they're they're offering some very bullish... uh, This is probably Treasury. Treasury is as much at fault as, as the government here. In my view, the Treasury forecast of commodity prices are wildly inflated. Uh, we, have, we have high uh, coking coal and, and uh, iron ore prices at the moment, but this only came about you know, since the, the election of the, the Trump presidency uh, and, and the Chinese thinking, hang on, we may not be able to get our hands on iron ore, so rather than holding uh, US government bonds paying half of 1%, they may as well own some iron ore. It's, it's the same thing as far as they're concerned. Uh, it's a very interesting line. You're saying they're stockpiling in the event of uh, some sort of showdown with 
the Trumpster. Absolutely. It's a it's rational behaviour. If I was the Chinese government, I would definitely be be, be uh, hedging my bets. But rather than to be holding uh, all of their overseas wealth in US bonds, I'd be holding some of it in iron or some of it in, 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 in coal, a coking coal, uh, and, and other commodities just to, just to protect themselves. Given the, that the interest rates are so very, very low, uh, the disincentives, you know, the, the costs of doing it uh, are actually very low and it's, it's actually worth their while in a strategic sense to, to hold commodities. Why not? Mm, so some of the big spending items, the listeners probably heard all about this, but I was surprised uh, that they had uh, uh, such a willingness to go for this inland rail line from Melbourne to Brisbane. What, were, what was your view on that and the $8 billion odd uh, dedicated there? Yeah, $8.4 billion announced for the Melbourne-Brisbane inland rail. Look... The spending doesn't happen now. They've, they've got to do the feasibility studies and they've got to do the, you know, all, all those paper-based, desk-based workers and a bit of drilling here and there, a bit of surveying, but very little, very little happens in the way of earth moving or, or, or bridge building until, until many years hence. So which is, that's where the big money is spent. But you've got to do the design first, of course. So, so when, they, when they announce uh, $8.4 billion for the Melbourne to Brisbane inland rail, the, the real spending won't occur for at least three to five years, at least. I saw this as a commentary, uh, the Libs uh, putting a line in the sand against One Nation. They're putting this into to Brisbane to, to protect uh, their, their standings there. Uh, is it more politics than actual economic need to build this railway? It's really interesting. Well, it's a freight rail, not a, not a passenger rail. It's not, not the high-speed rail we're all dreaming of. And the, the, the economics, of course, do not add up. Uh, I know mean, we'd all love one, but the, the sums don't add up, so we can't. Uh, and it would be unwise to do it. This, this freight rail does hold some promise, um, uh, and, and I, I welcome it because it bypasses the, the, the bottleneck of Sydney, uh, which, of course, you know, we have a very simple rail network that runs up the east coast. Uh, and if we go inland, we can avoid all that. We can avoid being bogged down in Sydney. But, but the, 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 the efficiency benefits uh, um, and the spending won't happen for, for, for quite a few years. Uh, and it's, it's such a long, long lead time item. Um, I don't know why they're getting so excited. I mean, they are, they are at feasibility study stage and, and here they are claiming they will spend the whole lot. 8.4, it's, it's so easy to announce. So easy to announce $8.4 billion. You know, it just rolls off your tongue because it won't be in this budget, won't be in the next budget or the one after that. And then what about uh, the Gonski reforms there? Uh, good to see it happening on some extent, but of course Labor saying uh, is nowhere near enough. There's still $22 billion in, in underpayments from the original Gonski agenda there. Again, is this politics or economics? Yes, it's politics. We, we know that education spending correctly correctly directed uh, can make a very, very big difference to a, a, a nation's economic outcomes in, in, in future decades. Uh, it's one of those long life investments in our, in our own children uh, with, with, with profound implications later, but nobody really knows, you know, you can't hold a government to account for, for, for what happened, what's going to happen in 20 years time. This is one of the problems. Um, Gonski, they've fudged Gonski. They, they, this big announcement they made that they're going to cut uh, funding to to 20 independent schools, well, well, that's probably what they, the minimum they thought they could get away with, if that makes sense. Uh, they had to do something and had to be seen to be doing something. And here, out comes a, a lovely headline that, that here we're cutting back on, on funding to, to independent schools or, or, or non-private schools, if you want to use a, a probably more appropriate phrase. Uh, 
in my opinion, and it sounds a bit lefty to say it, in my opinion, uh, the government's obligation first is to fund government schools, do it properly, do it to a quality standard. And if, if there's money left over in the budget for independent schools, well, they can have a dribble. I'd prefer to have it, have it as lower taxes and not give independent schools one penny. Uh, I appreciate the Catholics uh, wish to educate their children separately. Um, that's their business. Not, and, and I see no reason why government should, should give them one penny toward their sectarian wishes. Hear, hear. Now, uh, let's have some fun. Uh, what about the bank bashing? Uh, some some pretty big uh, sticks have been thrown their way. Uh, Six odd billion dollars in, in new uh, fees coming through. How's that actually going to be raised, that revenue? It's a levy on deposits, which means that the interest that uh, depositors earn will be less. Now, interest rates are very, very low, and anybody who can get half of 1% is doing very, very well. Uh, the impost is six basis points, which is six one-hundredths of 1%, so it's tiny. Uh, and yet, yet this is a little bit of theatre, uh, and it is only theatre. A levy of, of such a small magnitude is not going to change anything. Yet from it, we can expect the banks to in, to try to increase their, their their net interest margins. We can expect the banks to, to carry on as if they've been cut. Uh, and they haven't. The, the banks are uninjured by this. The, the persons injured are depositors. And it's an outrage. It's just more Tory rubbish. Do we know if it's across the board? Is it only for the big four banks or is it for the entire banking industry? It's only on the big four banks. Now, the government is allegedly very angry with the big four banks because they, because of their their avarice, their absolute greed and their, their desire to pull as many dollars off, off the entire banking system, in fact, off the Australian economy, as they can. Um, this is the, They're set up to do this, so, so we shouldn't be surprised by their behaviour. Uh, disappointing, but the government is allegedly, and I have no evidence that, that they are so angry, is a, the government is allegedly very angry with the banks for, for their avarice uh, and for their abuse of their monopoly position. And it seems like the ACCC's got a dedicated team now to monitor the levels of competition within the banking industry. So that's another little shot across the bow that's been uh, implemented. Well, it's a very modest thing. Everybody knows the problem with the banks is structural. That is, we have allowed the banks to take each other over. We now have four major banks, global-scale banks. They're almost almost inflated building societies these days, but we have four major banks that do not compete. Uh, They'll compete through advertising, they'll compete on service, but they won't compete on price. Now, the Canadians, uh, by way of example, uh, said they would not allow their national bank numbers to go below six that is that and they refuse to allow any of those six banks to be taken over by foreigners or to take each other over and, and they say the absolute minimum we can we can run a banking system on is six major banks and they're right and in my view um, when the, when the banks next run into, run into when the banks next run into trouble which is only going to be a matter of time uh, whoever gets whoever requires a bank bailout in my opinion should be split in half for the privilege of taking money from the government uh, it's terribly terribly important that we actually get back to a larger number of major banks and uh, the four we have are simply not enough they they simply they, they will not compete on price and that's the key the key driver of an efficient economy one of the interesting stories I'm hearing in the background is rumours of a Glass-Steagall kind of act here in Australia splitting up the deposit and investment sides of the banking sector so that uh, there's less risk involved, uh, there's less overflow from uh, failed investments affecting depositors' savings. 
Yeah, our, our banks, our banks have, have been allowed to get into every area of finance. Um, it used to be that there, there were there were other other players. I would explain it this way: they tried a bank assurance model where where banks were actually going into insurances as well. They're now backing off from that. They realise that's a step too far. But the point you make about in the investment banking activities and and the deposit and 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 plain vanilla mortgages and 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 loans to business, those two businesses are in my those three businesses in my view are incompatible. Um, yes, you can do mortgages and and business loans together, but but you can't tie in the sort of investment activities that the banks would like to indulge in. Macquarie Bank's doing doing it much harder than the big four, uh, but they'd all love to get more, to do more of this, um, um, taking the, taking on more risk based upon the safe, the, the relative safety and security of their of their mortgage book. Uh, and and w- the risks, uh, the risks are that, that that any of the big banks could, could be could be drawn down by it, could be taken down by it. And uh, I don't think that's a very good idea. You're on 3CR's Renegade Economist with your host, Carl Fitzgerald. And this week, Prosper Australia Policy Director David Collier. And uh, we're talking about all things Budget 2017, the federal budget delivered by Scott Morrison last night. I saw him speak a few weeks ago. He said, look, uh, we're going to do lots on housing affordability. Be prepared for our scalpel. It's going to be refined. We just can't cut negative gearing. We can't reform the capital gains tax in total. It would crash the market. David Collier, what is uh, your perspective on uh, the many policies that were delivered last night? I mean, at least they've used a, a, a small scalpel? A small scalpel. No, no, they've done, done anything but this. It's very, very interesting. Um, um, people can see that negative gearing is a serious problem. People can see that the capital gains discount is also a serious problem. The, the difficulty is, uh, if you talk to the economists, uh, they, they, they quite rightly point out that if, if you did remove negative gearing and the capital gains discount right now, you would crash the economy. Uh, there are so many people dependent upon, uh, so many people who have constructed their affairs to, to, to take advantage of the negative gearing. Uh, um, about, there's one, is there two million, two million uh, property owners of which 1.5 million are negatively geared. There's so many people who would be taken down, whose, whose economic futures would be destroyed. It's actually impossible to correct the economy in that way. Uh, so the government's obliged to use other means. Um, I'd like to see the end of both of those horrible things, but, but I don't think we can at the moment. What they have done, I think, is interesting, and I don't approve of it all, but but let's look at what they actually have done. Um, they've offered the first home buyers the, the chance to save toward a deposit within their super. Now, that's limited. That's capped at $30,000. Now, $30,000 is not enough for a deposit unless you're in... Out, way out in the bush. Um, who, that's not that's not nearly enough deposit for anybody. It's about a third of a deposit you need these days, isn't it? Yeah, but th- but to cap it at thirty thousand dollars is, is is some people have got thirty thousand dollar credit cards for heaven's sake. Give you an idea of scale. Um, and for most people, that's less than a year's income, far less than a year's income. So so it's not enough to make much difference. Contrast and compare with their attitude toward the over sixty fives. Bless their hearts. Who 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 they are. Now now, they are now allowing to, when they downsize their homes, to put $300,000 into their super to avoid the taxation and, and uh, um, pension uh, consequences. Now, $30,000 help for first home buyers, $300,000 help for over 65s. Whose side are they on? 
I think it's pretty clear that uh, they couldn't give a damn about young people. Couldn't give a damn. Mm, well, the demographics are changing year by year, and let's hope there's some sort of balance between these. Uh, but it's good to see young people aren't getting better at commenting online. They are getting better at writing to their MPs. So the political pressure is growing. Uh, but at least for the first home buyers, they are getting a nominal tax rate of 15% on those savings they're putting into super. Uh, but I dare say that the wealthy first home buyers who are earning good incomes are going to be able to attain that $30,000 bonus uh, earlier on. And with 20 odd years of uh, the locked out generations uh, uh, sitting on huge superannuation uh, stockpiles, I was thinking... Uh, when I first heard of it, I thought it was open slather to anyone to access their super, but it's from now on and based on uh, these dedicated savings. So it's at least refined a little bit in the way they've implemented it. What did you think of uh, the big uh, change to negative gearing, David? Removing the travel costs from from as a, as a legitimate property expense is probably quite a good idea. The, the savings of it, I think, are in, in the area of two hundred and fifty to three hundred million dollars a year. This is not a big uh, a big saving. They're um, saying five forty million over four. So yeah, two hundred. Yeah, 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 it's yeah, reasonable. Yeah. But it's, it's, there's a dollar there, but it's, it's not going to change anything. It, it is about signalling a harder line toward uh, property investors, and that's probably a good thing. But it's a signal, not an actual change. Um, um, I wish wish they were a bit more enterprise than that. The incentives the incentives do not come about, in my view, from, from negative gearing and, and the capital gains discount. The incentives come from the desire for people for a free ride to collect uh, land rents uh, and, and enjoy, enjoy um, comfort security at the expense of others. Now, I find that impulse repellent, uh, and, and, and so many Australians have indulged in it. And I think I think it's a shocking thing way to direct your energies. We need more investment for business, and 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 putting people putting their money into sites, in, into owning residential properties, is 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 very very poor investment. Um, not just because of the returns, but also because of, uh, it, it ties up the, the country's capital in unproductive activity. I'd rather see people. Investing in business. What about the move to actually increase the capital gains tax discount if you're investing in affordable housing from 50 to 60 <laughs> percent? Okay, we have enough houses. What well, the problem is that they're owned by an investor cohort. On the margin, we've got we've got two million uh, residential property investors out there, and, and and that means there's there's two million, three million families who can't buy a house because it's owned by an investor. Now, I'd rather see a country where everybody has access to land, where everybody can buy, build, run their own homes on their own parcel because land is inexpensive. Now, that's a much given how much land we've got for heaven's sake we, we uh, have the most arable land in the world uh, by far uh, and, and given that this, this is the case uh, um, we should have we should as a matter of national strategic imperative um, have access to good good inexpensive land for all we don't because it's all being captured it's all being tied up it's all being uh, held by others uh, against the, against future capital gains and um, my country is going to the dogs to finish off, David Collier, we've got a, a $28.7 billion declared deficit now. This time next year, what do you think the deficit will have been? 
the deficit is a matter of opinion and it's also a matter of whatever the government would like it to be. Uh, um, governments can print money just as the private banks currently print money. They choose the level of deficit they want. They could actually um, buy more bonds off the market, which I think is a waste of money, but they could do that. There's no reason why that number means anything at all. I don't care about deficits. It doesn't matter. And there was David Collier, my colleague at Prosper Australia, talking about how first home buyers get a $30,000 incentive, but baby boomers receive a $300,000 incentive. For both are meant to somewhat help housing affordability. Both will have uh, limited means, giving first home buyers uh, the ability to salary sacrifice into their superannuation at a tax rate of 15%, uh, least half price income tax there, will help unleash some 20 years of the locked out generations uh, uh, scratching their heads and saying, gee, maybe I can get a third of a deposit together uh, via this salary sacrificing to enter the market. Will that keep property prices increasing at such a level that it crowds out uh, others, forcing more onto uh, the homelessness heap for which uh, the government was quite proud uh, in last night's budget uh, to uh, boast about their homelessness funding. So uh, talk about cause and effect, incentives and neglect. We have to really get a grip on how this housing market works because as uh, we have seen in the press, it is just so easy for governments to actually make it worse. And yeah, last night's budget did have some interesting elements there to... uh, to refine some points as we just covered in that uh, interview but uh, I suppose the big one listeners will be interested in my opinion on was the uh, ghost tax which the government had under the heading reducing pressure on housing affordability an annual charge on foreign owners of underutilized residential property it's a $5,000 annual charge based on the uh, Foreign Investment Review Board's residential land fee. So it's at least $5,000 per annum. If the property is above $1 million, I think it doubles to over $10,000 per annum. That's something. Uh, We haven't seen the detail on how they detect that vacancy, nor if there is a geographical targeting as per Melbourne. And I uh, did the, uh, the mapping of what, was announced in last week's Victorian budget. And of course, the uh, Victorian vacancy tax is limited to the inner cities. It does traverse out as far as uh, Hobson's Bay in the west and uh, over to Box Hill Winehorse uh, in the east, uh, which will have a similar effect to the Liberal Party's uh, neighbourhood residential zoning, which stopped any multi-density zonings in the uh, white, worried and wealthy suburbs of the Inner East and channelled all the demand out to the suburbs where their major campaign contributors have huge, immense land banks Uh, needing more and more uh, purchases to come on board. So I dare say that uh, this vacancy tax will be uh, botched by the feds as well. Certainly not what we need. I was very interested to uh, grasp just how effective the government thinks this will be. They're saying that over the next four years, it'll only raise $16.3 million. Now, if you consider uh, that... Um, you do the numbers on an $800,000 house, an average estimate between Sydney and Melbourne's current medians, 
Uh, you'd expect there'd be some 10,000 purchases uh, per annum. Uh, it basically works out that they're only going to, to uh, uh, tax 3,260 properties uh, over four years. So it's a minor amount of property that's going to be uh, feeling the pinch from this vacancy tax. I would have thought they would have been expecting at least $160 million uh, uh, a year, but uh, it's not either not going to be vigorously... Uh, over, there's not going to be much oversight to how it's implemented or foreigners are just going to get the hint that with the state and federal government really coming down on them now, the party is over. If you want to make money as a foreign investor in Australian real estate, let's see if, if that occurs. The big thing they did, though, was remove something I wasn't aware of, and that was allowing foreign investors to claim their first property as their primary residence here in Australia and by doing that, they were able to avoid the capital gains tax exemption. Now, why wasn't the murdocracy all over that? They should have been screaming up and down about this reform. Uh, not many people knew of it, uh, but the government's expecting that to bring in some $581 million over the next four years. So that was a nice loophole they identified with their scalpel. I thought... Uh, uh, that the uh, curtailing of negative gearers from flying about checking in on rental properties, which again had little oversight. Uh, we discussed $540 million there with David. That's another good move. Uh, yeah, the they've also done something by removing depreciation capacities uh, for any property that's purchased after yesterday's budget. So... Quite a lot of property, as I've discussed before, has its depreciation levels. It's like they've depreciated everything over the house three or four times over and can renew those depreciation rates every time a new person buys that property. Well, it seems like they're tightening up on that and that's going to save the government some quarter quarter of a billion dollars there. So that's good. And then uh, the government is also talking about a snazzily titled program called Operation Tetris to reduce vacant leaseholdings uh, amongst the government's own uh, uh, buildings and, and leaseholds uh, they take out. So there's going to be savings there of nearly $300 million over the next 10 years. That's all good. Uh, on other fronts, the infrastructure recycling package, the code word for privatised to my mates, I'm relieved to see that uh, that is going to reduce quite significantly. I was as over uh, was over a uh, billion dollars there last year in handouts to state governments, down to uh, nine hundred billion dollars in this financial year. And next financial year really drops down to three hundred and seventy billion. Perhaps that's because the governments realise that there's nothing else left in Australia to privatise. I really hope uh, that's the case. Uh, yeah, and in terms of Victoria, there's uh, outrage that we have 25% of the population, but less than 10% of the infrastructure spend. And with John Howard coming out in the press today, the former Australian Prime Minister, to say, look, uh, yesterday's budget was a, a, a political um, karate move, very, very adept in what they've done there. Of course, uh, some of the, the special line item for Victorian infrastructure programs doesn't start till 2018-19, which is post the Victorian election. 
when we'll finally start to get some extra funding. $110 million there, though. So not much, but uh, there's a little bit thrown towards Daniel Andrews, perhaps to stop the uh, the protest he's about to lead up to Canberra because uh, a lot of states are getting ripped off. New South Wales just keeps cleaning up. I can't believe the handouts they get. Murdoch, even, he's getting handouts, receiving $30 million in corporate welfare. Let's drug test him too, say some. Uh, 60 million for fracking. What on earth is going on there? It's just too, too much. The pharmaceutical benefits scheme, Big Pharma, continues to gouge the public, and uh, they've got another 1.17 billion uh, added to the bottom line. Oh, goodness. So the list goes on and on. Uh, but yeah. The bottom line is uh, the government's planning uh, the future based on a a rosy set of glasses and they better start realising that this incredible uh, debt burden we're all living under, some people paying $480 a week, I know, living here uh, nearby in Collingwood, it's just off the Richter scale to be spending that money money, and we must remember that uh, such rents are a secret tax, the wealthy charge the poor. Uh, The combination of income tax and company tax, uh, land prices increased by just about the same amount last year. And the year before that, land prices were double what was raised via income and company tax. So uh, we could make life simpler, channeling the property bubble away from the banking system. Oh my God, I didn't even talk about banks. Jeez, they got hammered. Incredible what they're doing. Uh, Yeah, basically all senior bankers have to register with APRA and the banks can face $200 million fines. Banks required to defer a minimum of 40% of a bank's executive options, their their share bonus options, and 60% of a CEO's for a minimum of four years to ensure executives are more accountable and focus on decision-making for long-term outcomes. That was one we didn't see, listeners. That's one I can take my hat off to and say, well, there you go. That is needed. And there's also some open data laws coming through uh, the banking system where we are going to have some control over what happens to our data there. So a little bit of cherry lining for us. All right. My name's Carl Fitzgerald. Uh, Thanks so much again for listening to us here on 3CR's Renegade Economist. Check out earthsharing.org.au, prosper.org.au for more Renegade Economist insights. Thank you.